Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Springtime with Hitler in Canada. Two SLGBTQI plus campaigner and part-time prime minister of Canada goes double S, S, S orchestrating a tear-dropped standing ovation for a man who should have been in front of a firing squad at the end of the Second World War, a fugitive from the Eastern Holocaust, honoured by every single member of the Canadian Parliament, irrespective of which side of the uni party they belong to. And King Charles goes full tonto in the Palace of Versailles. I wonder what the people outside would have made of him in 1789. And Donald Trump goes 10 points clear of Joe Biden in a CNN-ABC poll for the presidential election coming up soon. It must be getting nearly time for them to decide either to throw in the towel of Joe Biden or to take another action to terminate Donald Trump, maybe with extreme prejudice. It's all coming up. Fasten your seatbelts. It's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. An inflection point has been reached in the proxy war between NATO and Russia over the dead bodies, hundreds of thousands of them, of the people of Ukraine. It's an inflection point on the battlefield, and I'll be talking to a very eminent former CIA operative about what was meant by the British and French cruise missile attack on the headquarters of the Russian Navy in Sevastopol and what Russia will be planning to do in return. But it's an inflection point on the political battlefield too. I honestly believe that when the history comes to be written, that the events in the Canadian Parliament, one of the so-called Five Eyes intelligence grouping, so no one can claim ignorance or stupidity, they are the smartest people in the world, are they not? The events in the Canadian Parliament, presaged actually, bookended by performances by high-heeled Jack, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister sometimes of Canada, were of such importance, such a level of grotesque rewriting of History, worse even than von der Leyen's claim, implicit in earlier in the week, that it was Russia that leveled Hiroshima and Nagasaki with nuclear weapons. Certainly, she did not name those who had, but by implication, saying that Russia is threatening to do this again, 
it was easy for the simpleton, and there are some in the world today, mainly in parliaments, it would seem, but also in the general public, to infer that Russia was the power that used nuclear weapons in the past. But this took the biscuit in Canada's Parliament House of Commons, it is called, modelled on the mothership of the British House of Commons. It was a sight so ugly, so literally unbelievable, that many people still are having difficulty coming to terms with it. One million Canadians fought Nazism in the Second World War, and for a country then of 11 million, that was pretty damn impressive recruiting. And they were all recruits there to fight Hitler in Europe of their own volition because they believed in it. One million Canadians out of 11 million. 100,000 Canadians were either killed or maimed fighting the Hitlerites on the European continent. That's 10% of all of the, their soldiers were casualties, dead or wounded. Again, a level of sacrifice, of volunteers, which is something to be proud of, something to enshrine in your heart, something to guide your every attitude into the future when dealing with great geopolitical issues. I've visited the Canadian war graves in Normandy. 14,000 Canadian soldiers landed on Juno Beach and faced, funnily enough, SS troops on Juno Beach, which accounted for the relatively savage level of casualties suffered by those with the bad luck to have landed on that particular beach. The SS took some of the Canadians prisoner on Juneau Beach and tortured them to death, tortured them and then entirely in defiance of the laws of war dispatched them with a firing squad. The SS were like that. I thought any schoolboy knoweth that, but not apparently the members of the House of Commons in Canada. Because this week, in a paroxysm of fervor, whipped up by the orchestrator, High Heel Jack, I call him High Heel Jack because he actually walked around in the Canadian Parliament in ladies' high-heeled shoes, in a protest against violence against women. No, I don't know either. High Heel Jack had whipped the Canadian Parliament into a paroxysm of fervor for Zelensky and the Ukrainian cause. So much, no surprise. Trudeau has been in the vanguard of the war party since this whole affair began. Indeed, if you calibrate the levels of belligerence against both Russia and China, Canada is right there in the very... It's funny because no Canadian is going to go and fight Russia. 
or China. It's funny because High Heel Jack would have absolutely no intention of putting on a tin hat himself or picking up a rifle himself. He's an effete popping jay, if you get my drift, at least according to his former missus. High Heel Jack is a frontline backseat soldier of the Ukrainian cause. So it caused me no surprise that he was ranting and raving about the war. But what did take me by surprise, and will, I think, cost him dearly in political popularity in his own country, will cost the members of parliament involved dearly. What will live on in history as a day of infamy in Canada was what happened next. In this paroxysm of fervor, the Speaker of the Canadian Parliament, no less, the Speaker reading from notes, drew attention to the presence in the audience of a Ukrainian hero, he said, a Canadian Ukrainian hero, he said, who had fought the Russians during World War II. Now, as they rose as one man and woman to applaud Yaroslav Hunka, aged 98, did the words fought the Russians during World War II not ring even the smallest of bells in the thickest of skulls amongst these maniacs on their feet, applauding with North Korean levels of vivacity, this man who fought the Russians in World War II, did it not occur to them that that meant he was a member of the Nazi army fighting the Russians? during World War II? Did it not occur to them that they were on the same side as the Russians in World War II? That Canada, that Britain, that America and Russia were allies during World War II. So how can you feverishly applaud a man who the Speaker of the House introduces as someone who fought the Russians during World War II, even if they didn't know that he was Yaroslav Hanka of the 14th Division of the same SS that murdered Canadian prisoners in the sand dunes on the beach of Juneau in Normandy in 1945, even if they didn't realize that the Galician SS of which Yaroslav was a member and from which is a fugitive from war crime charges, did it not occur to them that this man 
was therefore a part of war crimes almost beyond imagination. Not beyond mine, because I saw Einsatzgruppen, Hitler's Eastern Holocaust on Netflix, before they buried it so deeply that you'll be very lucky to find it on Netflix if you try to after this show. I saw what the Galician SS, of which Mr. Hunker was a member, I saw what they did. I saw the massacre. Hundreds and thousands of Jews, of Poles, of partisans, of Ukrainian citizens that would not collaborate with Hitler. I mean up close and personal. I mean murdering them in pits, on video, on video, climbing on the bodies and murdering them. Anything that moved in the pit, murdered, executed, who by, not by the Germans, but by their Ukrainian collaborators, their fellow members of Hitler's SS. So what do we have here? We have a Commonwealth Parliament. We have a North American state. We have a member of NATO. We have one of the five eyes. We have one of the leaders of the war party in the world, whose parliament orgiastically applauded in a standing ovation a member of a member of Hitler's SS. And so every one of those liberals with a small L. Every one of those liberals out there, if they still have the Ukrainian twibbon on their profiles, if they are still shilling for Zelensky and the regime in Kiev, I want you to think about what I have just said. And I want patriotic Canadians I want the children and the grandchildren of the 100,000 dead and wounded Canadian soldiers who volunteered to fight Hitler in Europe from 1939, not 1941, Uncle Sam, 1939 until 1945. I want every one of those children and grandchildren and now great-grandchildren of all those Canadian war graves in Normandy and elsewhere, of all those one million Canadians who went to fight Hitler, I want them to hold high-heeled Jack Trudeau to account. I want them to demand from their members of Parliament, why did you give a standing ovation? Because I saw you on television. Not a single member of parliament did not get to their feet. I want all those Canadians to demand of their members of parliament 
why they did this, why they desecrated the war graves of their own fathers and forefathers, why they licked the spittle of a Nazi war criminal, mass murderer, genocide enabler, Jew killer. I want every Canadian, every loyal, decent, patriotic Canadian to demand an explanation from their Prime Minister and the parliamentary acolytes on both sides of the House that committed this excrescence in Canada this week. Let me turn to King Charles in Versailles. King Charles, like high-heeled Jack Trudeau, is in the grip of a twin zealotry. He has other strings to his bow, but the main parts of this twin zealotry held by Trudeau, by Sunak, by Starmer, by Macron, by Schultz, and by King Charles, our so-called climate change and war in the Ukraine. Now, these others that I mentioned are elected politicians and are therefore entitled to express their point of view, however awful it is. But you, Your Majesty, are elected by no one. You have no right at all, whether on foreign soil or domestic, to be weighing in with your heavy and expensive royal crown on matters of political controversy which divide your people, your subjects, as you like to call them. Many of your subjects think that this net zero lark is a hoax, is a con. In fact, so strong is that feeling in the country that little Rishi Sunak has begun to beat a path to the policy first enunciated by the Workers' Party of Britain, which I lead. He has U-turned, rode back, on the crazy commitment to net zero cold and penury for the British people by 2030. And if I'm any judge, he's going to make these matters an election issue in the general election he's going to call next May on the same day as the local elections. Write it down, mark my word. So this matter of national controversy, King Charles, is not one into which you can venture, at least not if you are a constitutional monarch, and if you're not, Versailles was a pretty risky place to venture forth on the divine right of kings. And many of your subjects do not share your declaration that Ukraine stands for the same values 
as us. Because, frankly, sire, they do not. Not the Ukrainian war criminal in the Canadian Parliament. Not the Ukrainian midget running around in his fatigues from one parliament to the next, filling his bag of money from the taxpayers in all countries. Not the Azov battalion, not those erecting statues to Bandera, the leader of the Hitlerites in the territories occupied by the Nazis in the Second World War. No, sire. My grandfathers fought in your grandfather's army all the way from El Alamein to Monte Cassino and beyond against those values, against the values held so dear by that regime in Kiev. Fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be a bumpy night. It's the mother of all talk shows. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, we've got an unlikely poll running. Perhaps it should have said if you had to. If they ran for president and you had to vote for one of them, who would you vote for? Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, or Bill Gates? Poor Bill. Poor Bill. 14,449 people have already voted. Elon Musk wins absolutely a landslide victory so far. On Telegram, 97% for Elon Musk, 2% for Mark Zuckerberg, and 1% for Bill Gates. Uh, on Twitter, 88% for Elon Musk, 4% for Mark Zuckerberg, 8% for Bill Gates. He's rather more popular on Twitter. Well, rather more. 8% better than 1%. And on the YouTube community poll, 92% Elon Musk, 2% Zuckerberg, 6% Bill Gates. And on the YouTube stream, uh, it's 94% Elon Musk, 3% Zuckerberg, and 3% 
Bill Gates. Now, my first guest is a very eminent one indeed. He has a very big following because, well, frankly, he knows what he's talking about. As well, he should. He's a former CIA operations officer in both Europe and the Middle East. Maybe he spied on me once upon a time. Who knows? He's a war veteran and a PhD in European history. Nowadays, he's a go-to for anyone who wants to understand what's really going on. And I'm glad Philip Giraldi is with us now on the mother of all talk shows. Philip, uh, I can't tell you how glad I am to see you. I've wanted you on the show uh, for a very long time. But before we go into the broader battlefield, I don't know if you heard my monologue, but isn't it emblematic that the Canadian Parliament gave a prolonged and rapturous standing ovation to a fugitive from the Waffen-SS involved in Hitler's Eastern Holocaust in the Canadian Parliament this week. Is this not the apogee or the nadir, the high point or the very bottom of the peculiar position countries like Canada have taken on this war? Well, I think um, in reality, it's demonstrating exactly how this war is not anything like the conventional wars that we've known in the past. This is something that is a political war. It's being fought for political reasons. There were no uh, reasons that um, motivated the Russians to invade that could not have been resolved through negotiations. But the British government and the American government, Canadian government, all had a hand in making sure that that did not happen. So this is a, a, a political exchange, which is becoming um, more aggravated, I would say, by the failure of the Ukrainians to uh, very effectively oppose the Russians, and also by the fact that there is an election coming up in the United States in a year's time, and uh, Biden is playing this game of uh, wanting to come out in, in a year as uh, something like a war hero. And this, of course, is ridiculous, and he's going to kill another half a million people in the process. Yeah, I'm, I'm always after the fool or knave uh, answer. These Western countries who pushed Ukraine into this conflict, as you and I both agree, did they know it would all end up as badly as it has, that the Russian economy would be outperforming the German economy and so on, that the Ukrainian armed forces, no matter how much materiel is stuffed uh, into their ranks, are simply not going to be able to achieve the war aims stated uh, by the Allies and by Ukraine repeatedly. Uh, so did they know that, in which case they're knaves, or did they imagine it was going to end up differently, in which case they're fools? Well, I think they imagined it would end up differently. I think that's the way to look at it. They, they, they really thought that the, uh, um, the sanctions and other financial and economic pressures they were putting on Russia would be enough to make Russia 
if not fold, at least think twice about what it was doing. But it's had the reverse effect, which is basically uh, the Western economies have been hurt by this, and uh, Russia has come out on top. So that did not work out very well. And I think they they also believed the propaganda that they were feeding themselves about how the Russian army uh, was uh, full of uh, soldiers who didn't want to fight, who was poor, that was poorly trained, poorly equipped. Uh, in, in other words, they were seeing Ukraine as a much more formidable opponent of Russia than actually turned out to be the case. The Russian army has performed very effectively, and it's uh, the poor Ukrainians have been getting caught between a rock and a hard place due to the policies that NATO and the U.S. Uh, and others have been pushing them into. And uh, all of the all they've been looking at is defeat. And uh, the the war in terms of military is is a foregone conclusion now. There is no way, uh, even if NATO were to inter- intervene more aggressively, no way this thing is going to get turned around. More and more people are saying that, uh, Philip, uh, even in the House journals of the uh, of the War Party, in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, in the London Times, in the Daily Telegraph here, uh, in, in, if you like, the fancy newspapers and the so-called flagship broadcasters uh, that are talking to if you like, the elites in our society, are all now openly saying this is not going to end well. Down at the popular end and the yellow press and so on, you still get the Ukraine is winning uh, propaganda because that's for the masses. But you and I know, and they know, the top people know, this is not going to end well. Why then indulge in these performative, public relations exercises, like firing long-range cruise missiles into the Navy headquarters uh, in Sebastopol, which will, of course, change nothing, but allows uh, a bit of a thrill to run through the ranks uh, of, uh, of the scribblers, but can only make the final terms of the settlement, and settlement there will presumably have to be, all the more onerous for Ukraine and its backers. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. This is uh, where it's going. And and again, I think you have to look at it right now in terms of this is a game that's being played. And essentially, people like Joe Biden are wanting to come out with an acceptable um, solution at the end of all of this where Mr. Joe Biden gets reelected president of the United States uh, and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But I think he's going to have a, a rough ride. The, uh, the, the meetings at the UN in this past week were not a good sign. Um, the, uh, the, the reception of Zelensky's speech and of Biden's speech, Zelensky's speech, there was virtually no one there listening. Uh, so he's lost whatever charisma he had. And uh, we have Joe Biden's speech, which just basically uh, said nothing. So you, you, you have essentially the world is starting to wake up to what's going on here. And uh, Biden is essentially uh, trying to ride the horse to, so he gets out at a, the other end with some kind of 
uh, solution that will work for him. And this is not just not going to happen. Senator uh, Rand Paul today announced that he is going to do everything in his power, which is considerable, to make sure that this less this upcoming tranche of money of $43 billion that was supposed to go to Ukraine uh, will get blocked. So we'll see how that works out. And the, the, the war party just lost uh, another paragon of virtue, presumably. Senator Bob Menendez will not be showing up to vote for more war, weighed down as he is by all the money in his jacket and the gold bars in the backseat of his car. So the uh, arithmetic in the Senate is getting more and more tight. Menendez is only, of course, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee in the United States of America. You couldn't uh, make this up. Uh, so it's getting tight for them financially uh, on the battlefield in, in Congress. And yet Mitch McConnell, when he's sentient, uh, he's still right glued to President Biden. Is this a kind of octogenarian love affair or what is it that first attracted McConnell uh, to uh, to Joe Biden? Well, I think the, the thing that's attracted the two of them to each other is the fact that they've, they've hit their heads so many times lately in falling down that uh, it um, they have something in common there. But, uh, uh, but, you know, reading between the lines on the, the meetings that Zelensky had in Washington, uh, there was no warmth there. Uh, the last time he came through Washington, he received a hero's welcome, um, uh, standing ovations in Congress. Uh, people were talking about putting a bronze bust of him under the Capitol Dome. Uh, and, and this time it was kind of quiet. Uh, McCarthy, for example, did not meet him when he arrived. Uh, he met the two uh, leaders of the Senate, Republican and Democrat. Um, but again, there was not enthusiasm about all this. And um, and there were some other interesting signs that uh, preceded this. There was an article in the uh, New York Times uh, when Zelensky arrived describing how uh, an alleged Russian terrorist attack on a Ukrainian village back on June 6th uh, which Zelensky claimed was a Russian terrorist attack, turned out, in fact, to be uh, an attack using a Ukrainian missile. So this is very reminiscent of the uh, Polish incident back in April when they claimed that the Poland had been attacked by the Russians. It turned out it had been the Ukrainians. Uh, Zelensky is losing all his credibility, is, is what I'm saying. And the the surfacing of this article when he arrived in the United States was probably a leak from the White House sending a signal. Yeah, uh, as they used to say in music hall, uh, it was a good act, but he's gone on too long. Uh, I think there's little doubt that he's going to be hooked uh, off the stage uh, one way or another. Uh, but. Looking at that CNN-ABC poll today, putting uh, President Trump 10 points ahead, in other words, uh, and that's before you even factor in that uh, RFK Jr. might well run as an independent, taking a significant number of votes off the Joe Biden column. It's beginning to look like a big change is coming in Washington. 
And does that not concentrate the minds of the CIA, the FBI, the agencies and so on? Do they not have to now start thinking, well, look, we could be under new management next year? Yeah, that's exactly what they're thinking. And that's what I'm hearing from uh, former colleagues in the national security realm. Uh, they're quite nervous about what's coming up. They know they have essentially sold their souls over, over the last uh, um, eight or 10 years. And, um, you know, there's going to be a comeuppance uh, for all of this. Um, the public in the United States is uh, uh, very aware of how corrupted um, the institutions of government have become. And um, uh, there could be some real surprises in this election. I, I would love to see a, uh, a ticket composed of Kennedy and, uh, and someone else who is as strong on, on uh, the anti-war position as he is, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. I would love to see that. That would be a wonderful ticket uh, indeed. Uh, now, um, you served, shall I say served, uh, in Europe for the CIA. I, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you were doing. Uh, during those uh, times. You could tell me off air any time that you like. But with your knowledge of Europe, are you surprised at how tamely uh, the European leadership has gone into this abattoir, uh, which has effectively sacrificed their own economies? Is that the Europe that you used to know, or has something changed? I I am surprised by it, and I I've, I was in Europe quite recently, Eastern Europe, and uh, I was surprised by some of the conversations I had there. Um, I would think that um, the corruption we're seeing in the United States, pervasive corruption of the po political system, uh, is also taking place in Europe. There's a lot of uh, criticism of the leadership, or certainly over the last five or six years. And I think this criticism is rooted in what people, what voters are seeing. And um, and, and then for me, I mean, the bottom line, I, I and I will tell you honestly, I worked in counterterrorism the whole time I was in Europe and the Middle East, which I was comfortable with. And um, the, um, the thing is, Europeans should be thinking back on the horrors of the Second World War. And they should, you know, the, the slogan never again should apply to that. And the fact that, that their leadership is jumping into this is just, to me, astonishing. And, and trying to justify why they're doing this, the, the arguments about, well, this is, a, this is to, uh, you know, protect democracy and things like that. This is all nonsense. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm astonished by it. And uh, but I think the people are turning against it and people like you and your party. I think that the, the signal and the uh, is coming through loud and clear that we are on a wrong course. And uh, hopefully there will be a readjustment. And then when the readjustment comes, it will be a serious one. God willing. Philip Giraldi, thank you for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. I hope you'll come back and talk to us again. Very much obliged to you. Philip Giraldi, formerly of the CIA. Later, uh, we've got Professor George Samuli, one of the most clever and sagacious of commentators. He's coming up, so don't miss that.
You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. In uh, some important Patreon news, you know I, I keep telling you that I really depend on your support uh, on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. I mean, I really do. And it will cost you the price of a cup of tea per week. Am I worth a cup of tea per week? Well, if you think so, please support me on Patreon. And in fact, in the last 30 days, we've had 116 new patrons. Uh, so uh, my calls for you to join and the free films uh, like Killing Kelly that you get when you sign up have been successful. Some great Patreon comments now. Uh, a legend, uh, a most legend, Graham Briggs White, says, I wouldn't trust any of them, talking about the poll, as they're part of the military-industrial complex. But at least Elon puts himself out on a limb. That's true, Graham, and must account for his landslide victory in our uh, poll. Uh, Emias A. Abebe says, only by lesser of the other evils rule. Uh, the 1% are not going to save this world unless a person with a public servant mentality arrives in the political arena. At the moment, RFK Jr. is the only one close to that. And Leslie Hope says, we don't need a billionaire president. We need an anti-billionaire. Where are the counterparts of Hugo Chavez, Evo Morales, Rafael Correa, and Daniel Ortega? I'm not sure how well they'd fare at this moment in time in a presidential election in the United States. Uh, Boca Foltersma says, George, I'm able to support you and your important show, finally. Please keep up the good work. The world needs it now more than ever. Best regards. And to you, Boca. Uh, so please, go to patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Sign up for the cost of a cup of tea per week. I have to keep making that point. My grandson, Sean, uh, who helps me on this show, uh, sends me this. He's a student at the School of Oriental and African Studies, which is an institution of some note, uh, an institution that many successful and indeed famous prominent people have gone to. It used to be a place I used to speak at regularly. I was very impressed by it. And when my grandson got in there to study uh, politics, I, I, I was really chuffed uh, about it. Anyway, he tells me this. SOAS send me career opportunities every week. This week, the first three options are for the army. <laughs> study at the School of Oriental and African Studies and go into the army. Why don't you? Professor George is on the line and we're very glad to see him. Uh, Dr. George, thank you very much uh, for well, joining us again on the Mother of All Talk Shows. Now, let me start. We're uh, fairly adjacent to where you are. There's some more trouble brewing uh, in what they laughably call Kosovo. Tell us. Well, if one thinks of uh, the modern NATO, it came of age during the 1990s, um, when it bombed first uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina and then uh, bombed um, uh, Yugoslavia. 
and uh, it was very pleased with itself, congratulated itself. And I'd say we found a, a new role for NATO, humanitarian intervention, you know, creating states out of uh, nothing. But as the years have gone by, NATO has looked back on its handiwork in the Balkans with a somewhat jaundiced eye because it hasn't really achieved what it wanted to achieve. This, the, the Bosnia and Herzegovina that came out from the Dayton Accords remains divided. There is this uh, entity, the Republika Srpska, which is uh, dominated by the, by, uh, the Serbs of uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, who tend to look upon favorably on Russia. You know, they share the, the, the church, they have a very similar language. And then when it comes to Yugoslavia, they badly wanted uh, Serbia to recognize Kosovo and, uh, and, and accept that they've lost Kosovo. Kosovo is an independent state, and then Kosovo can be marched into uh, NATO, the EU, and uh, all the rest. But that hasn't really worked out. So NATO, really, over the past five, six years, has been very assiduously finding some way of rectifying these two uh, deficiencies, which is to get rid of this Republic of Srpska once and for all, get Serbia to recognize uh, Kosovo, and above all, to get Serbia and the Bosnian Serbs on board for the um, anti-Russian, Russophobic policy of uh, NATO and the EU. And so anytime you look for any of these problems, which is uh, you know, in Kosovo, it's being provoked by Albin Kurti, the uh, the Kosovo leader, uh, with, with a view to provoking a NATO intervention. I mean, that that's always what it does. If they can get another NATO intervention into Kosovo, it worked 25 years ago. They pushed the Serbs out. Maybe they can uh, do it again just by saying, oh, the Serbs did this, Serbs did that. And of course, behind the Serbs stands big, bad Putin. And in the meantime, the same thing is happening in uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, where um, you know the 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 the, uh, the, the, the uh, leader of the uh, Republic of Srpska, Milorad Dodik, could be arrested at any time. Uh, I mean, he's been threatened with arrest by the uh, office of the high representative. You know, somebody who is appointed by NATO to run the place. And he has threatened to uh, arrest Milorad Dodik. And again, that could provoke uh, a NATO intervention should the Serbs rebel at seeing their leader arrested. You know, that could, that could be the provocation for a NATO intervention. So, so NATO is looking for ways to rectify its problem because the whole continent is now under NATO control. And, you know, there are only two holdouts, Serbia and uh, and the Republic of Serbska and Bosnia and Herzegovina. There is, of course, Austria, and they are also trying to push Austria into NATO. But they, that this problem with the Balkans is just not going to go away, and it's annoying NATO no end. Although uh, in Hungary, for example, uh, the government is taking an increasingly independent line, uh, independent of uh, of NATO and of the EU in Poland. Well, there are elections now. Uh, you can't be elected unless you are taking a firm stand uh, on issues like uh, immigration, for example. The, this uh, tremendous influx of, uh, of Africans to Lampedusa in Italy, they plan on um, sprinkling these, uh, these uh, African people who've arrived there 
throughout all European countries. Poland saying not one of them will will come here. Uh, Poland has effectively broken relations uh, with uh, Ukraine now. So actually there are real life forces which are pushing more and more European governments into a different political position, aren't there? Well, we have to see whether that's the case. I mean, Poland, uh, the Polish government has um, a very tough uh, election fight on its hands. It's in, in three weeks' time. They are very worried about this new party, this confederal party, that could challenge them and therefore push them out of power and then bring in this uh, Donald Tusk. So what are they doing? They're playing the Polish nationalist card and saying, oh, we're not going to give anything uh, to uh, Ukraine. Um, I would be very surprised if uh, Poland will stick to that policy. I mean, Poland is now so identified with Russophobia, with with, uh, leading the charge against Russia. I mean, Poland now sees itself as the leader of Europe. I mean, it's basically, it's pushing aside Germany and France and saying, we, we are the leaders of Europe. We are America's closest ally. Uh, Look at how useless uh, Germany has been. Look at how useless France has been. We were aware of Russia from the beginning. So one has to take this with a pinch of salt. What what this whole row between Zelensky and uh, Duda and Morawiecki, we'll see what happens after uh, the election. Same with this Lampedusa. I mean, remember, Giorgio Maloney was supposed to be the Mussolini, the return of Mussolini, and that was it. Italy was going to uh, join Hungary, and you know the whole NATO uh, endeavor would collapse. And then she just collapsed. You know, <laughs> you know, she was the one who just faded away. And now she's turned to Ursula von der Leyen and says, "Well, please help me uh, with this immigration problem." Well, that was her defining issue that was what got her into power and now you know under her rule immigration has massively expanded i mean she's worse on this issue than her predecessor uh, mario draghi the sort of the globalist in chief so one has to wait and see where, where things fall out the problem is is the electorates of europe are just not following the leaders the, the political leaders i mean the political leaders they they love this whole ukraine project um, but that's not what the voters want. I mean, here is um, in Germany where you have Annalena Baerbock, whose project, she's declared her project is to bring Putin to justice. That's it. That's that's going to be German foreign policy. That's the feminist German foreign policy, bringing Putin to justice. Quite how she plans to do this, she doesn't really uh, spell out. Uh, she's also said she doesn't care what the German people think. I mean, she's just going to pursue whatever she thinks, and that's really the attitude of so many uh, voters in, uh, of, of so many leaders in Europe and also in the United States, which is that, well, we we love this project, this Ukraine project. Uh, unfortunately, the, the stupid voters are not with us. As we know, you can love something too much. And uh, what uh, happened in the Canadian Parliament, uh, which <laughs> from what I can tell is is now causing uh, tremendous ruptions in the country. So what happens when you get carried away, George, isn't it? Uh, you, it, it, it. You, you construct this Manichaean narrative uh, and then you end up uh, with a standing ovation uh, to a Nazi murderer in the Eastern Holocaust. Uh, it, it's, it's a remarkable business, isn't it? It really is a remarkable business. So... 
you know, there they were, they're all clapping this 98 year old. Oh, what a wonderful old codger. You know, he was a, this great guy, you know, you know, an, an, an old man of the old school, you know, salt of the earth types. And you know, this was a Nazi. I mean, he, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was in this uh, Galician uh, division. He was trained in Germany. There are photographs of him, of him in Germany. He was being trained in, in 1942 in uh, Germany. So, um, and of course, uh, Zelensky was applauding him. Zelensky knows exactly who he was. Of course, the Canadians who took in a lot of these Ukrainian Nazis, pretending that they didn't know what, what was what, um, and remember, we have this uh, Christopher Friedman, who um, her, her grandfather was an active uh, propagandist for the Nazis. When this came out, she immediately said, oh, this is Russian disinformation, you know, again, Putin this, Putin that. Then, of course, it turned out that it was indeed a Nazi propagandist. And they said, well, I didn't know. This is all nonsense. All the Canadians knew exactly who they were taking in. Christopher Friedland knew exactly who her grandfather was. Um, so but they pretend not to know, basically because they don't really care. I mean, they've adopted the, um, the, the essentially the slogans of the 1930s. Anybody who hates the Russians is on our side. You know, it doesn't matter. You're a fascist, you're a Nazi, you're genocidal, whatever. As long as you hate the Russians, you're on our side. And that, that's a, a nice kind of uh, reversion to the attitudes of the 1930s and 40s. We have a saying here, George, never ask a man his wage, a woman her age, or a Ukrainian what their grandfather did in the Second World War. Uh, that might have been what was at play in the Canadian Parliament this week. Yes, well, that, 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 exactly. Um, but it is uh, quite striking how... Um, all these things are quietly forgiven and forgotten. I mean, you know, and it's not just Ukrainian. I mean, you talk about the Bolts. You know, the Bolts commemorate every year um, the Nazi collaborators. And I said, okay, that's fine. No, no, no problem there. Um, you know, then you, then you have the uh, Ukrainians. You know, okay, no problem there. You have countries in Eastern Europe that are desecrating World War II memorials. I mean, almost every day, Yet they're taking down, you know, yet another World War II memorial. Why are they taking down World War II memorials other than they want to, you know, extirpate the history of, uh, you know, liberation from the Red Army? That, that, that's what they, why they're taking it down. So it has nothing to do with communism. Oh, because we don't like communists. Well, they're not, they're not taking down statues of Lenin. They're taking down World War II memorials. There were memorials to the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of uh, soldiers from the Red Army who died liberating these countries, and they just want to take them down. And that's just, in, in, it's their attitude uh, shows that it's that, that, that Russophobia that uh, it very much goes back to the Nazi ideology. Notice Hungary doesn't do that. Hungary is, has left, left all the um, World War II memorials intact. It's left all the World War II cemeteries intact. It's never done that. So you can see how certain countries, and, and the Hungarians, they, they have no love for the communists, but they always distinguish, you know, communists from you know, the Red Army, the, you know, the people who actually came and uh, sacrificed hundreds of thousands of lives uh, liberating them. Uh, turning to the war then, Professor, the, uh, I thought at first when I saw these bombs, British supplied cruise missiles raining down on the Navy HQ, uh, the balloon is surely going to go up now. 
this is an inflection point in the war. Uh, but the balloon hasn't actually gone up. And indeed, some people say uh, these kind of attacks are merely performative public relations shows uh, to mask the fact that as everyone who knows now knows and increasingly says the Ukrainian counteroffensive is done. It's over and all that remains to be seen is when the Russians will go on the offensive. Which way do you see it? Well, I see it more that um, they want to inflict a humiliation on Russia. I think the um, the NATO powers, and that means the United States, for them, this is a good boondoggle. They want to keep this war going. Um, they want to kill as many Russians as possible, drain Russia as much as possible, debilitate Russia as much as possible, and to diminish Russia's uh, claim to be a great power. Well, what better way of diminishing it by then by attacking Russian territory. I mean, this missile attack, not only was it a UK uh, uh, missile, um, there was a, you know, essentially, a, a, you know, this was guided by the United States. There was a reconnaissance aircraft in the neighborhood. It was guiding. So it was essentially a, a US attack on uh, Russian territory. And the US goes back and say, hey, we crossed another red line and nothing happened. And there's, in fact, an article uh, in the uh, in the New York Times with some U.S. official, anonymous, saying, you know, gloating, hey, we've crossed so many Russian red lines, we just don't pay any more attention uh, to them. Because now the article was about the fact that U.S. military hospitals are treating uh, U.S. mercenaries uh, who were wounded in Ukraine. In other words, you're wounded in Ukraine, you're taken to a, a U.S. Army hospital in um, in Germany. So essentially, they're treating uh, mercenaries as if they were U.S. Army personnel. Um, and then and people say, hey, well, is that a red line? I said, no, well, you know, there have been so many red lines. But for them, it's, it's a way to humiliate Russia. They think Russia is weak. They think Russia is afraid of uh, NATO. They think they are afraid of us, we are not afraid of them. They are uh, they they are afraid of uh, triggering a nuclear war. We are not afraid, and that's that's the NATO. I, I think it's a very dangerous way of thinking, a very reckless and dangerous way of thinking. But I think that's the way NATO is thinking. They think we can get away with anything because the Russians are afraid of us. It's unlikely that the Russians are afraid of them, but it's also true that Russia has not uh, appreciably struck back. Uh, for what was, as you say, a very embarrassing, to say the least, attack on their naval HQ in Sevastopol. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I also don't think the Russians are afraid. The Russians are very cautious. There are, you know, they've always been very cautious. Putin is a very cautious man. He doesn't want to start a world war. Uh, the, the problem is that um, if this, this continues, there is going to come a point when Russia just simply can't uh, sit on its hands. And we, I don't know what that point will be, but they could come. I mean, you know, maybe at some point the United States might say that, well, we can transfer some small nuclear uh, battlefield weapons to Ukraine. They'll be very small, very, very small. Um, and, uh, and, you know, maybe that will be the point. But um, 
it's clear that they, they keep NATO, the United States, they keep escalating. They keep you know, moving, you know, uh, you know, keep moving forward. And I think at some point this is it is going to end very badly. Dr. George, as always, a voice of reason. Thank you for joining us on the mother Thank you, of George. all talk shows. Well, we're getting near the end, but a legend is on the line. The legend that is Norma in Bristol. Norma, God bless you. Everyone's thinking of you. Welcome to the show. Um, I think you do need a few more women callers because um, I, there aren't enough, are there? But the main thing I was going to say no, was... No, I, 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 should, I should have asked for that because it yeah. is uh, noticeable. You're yeah. the only woman caller of the evening. Yeah. I but don't I mean, know why um, they don't call me. Maybe they're, maybe they're afraid of me. Maybe my voice is too loud or I'm too rough yeah, or whatever. I, mean, I don't know. What do you think it is? I'm not frightened of you. <laughs> I'm not frightened know, of you. You're so nice to me. Even if I disagree yeah. with you. But the thing is, I thought, honestly, tonight, and it's been going on for the whole show, more or less. That monologue was truly good. Um, I mean, he just told it as it should be. And it was, you know, amazing, the ignorance of um, that Canadian government. And watching them clapping, they were like a load of sheep, weren't they? Um, I just wanted to say that I learned such a lot. Because um, I don't know all the... I, I, I'd seen this thing on, on Twitter... But I don't know all the ins and outs, and you tell us things that we learn. Um, and it well, really, uh, I, I'm 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 grateful. I'm grateful for that. But in the time available to me, Norma, I want to tell you that there are many uh, people who watch the show who are concerned about you and your yeah. uh, near time future and want to help you. So I want you to think about how we can help you and let us know how we can help you because I don't we know, want George. to it's not about I... it's not about charity or or whatever you are our friend and we want to help you so think about what it is that you need what help you need will you do that for me well i will george but i'm trying to work out my future anyway and listening to you and thank you very much this diversion of um, your show, it just forgets the sad situation here at home because my husband's still waiting for a palliative doctors to organize his end-of-life care plan. And I don't know if I have to pay for that or if the government pay. I don't know whether um, my incomings are going to match my outcomes. But I've been doing a lot of work on trying to make sure that I can make ends meet and I probably will. It's just um, one thing after another that adds to the stress, and that's why I like your program. What a wonderful call, and a very good note on which to end from the legend Norma in Bristol. I think it's been a high-powered, high-octane show, uh, and deservedly so, uh, with two great guests. Uh, that you wouldn't find on MSNBC or BBC or uh, any of the mainstream media channels in the United States, in North America, or anywhere in Europe. And that is important. That means we're playing an important role because we are 
giving voice to people with important things to say and with important experience and qualifications from which to say them, we are providing that. And you, this enormous audience and growing audience, again, now as we come to the end of the summer holiday period, uh, you, the audience, are um, playing an important role, not just because you've turned up to watch it, but because you obviously are, as I frequently ask you to do, telling people of the existence of the show, the quality of the guests, maybe, if I'm not uh, immodest, uh, the quality of the monologues, uh, and so on. You're telling people, and they're coming. If you build it, they will come, as uh, someone famously once said in a Hollywood movie. Hollywood's still on strike, and we haven't begun to miss it yet, isn't it? Funny. Well, I'll be back again, God willing, at the slightly later time of 9 p.m. on Wednesday for the midweek mother of all talk shows. Uh, We're still working hard on the possibility of a trial run, six weeks maybe, eight weeks, uh, of a Moats Africa. which we would very much like to do in association uh, with a group called African Stream, uh, who put out some really terrific stuff. If you haven't uh, followed them yet, we've actually got a clip uh, from them. Why don't we finish on this clip from African Stream, which may be a sign of things to come. Some coups are approved. Uh, by uh, Western countries, some entirely disapproved. Uh, One thing I think is very clear that the writing on the wall uh, about France and its venal and malign role in Africa is very large. The writing is unmistakable. France's time as a as an exploitative colonial power in Africa is rapidly coming to an end. Ali Bongo was given the gift for his 64th birthday in entirely fraudulent 64% of the vote in a rigged, indeed fantastically, absurdly rigged, a general election. He will never be back. The bongos will fall silent. The question is to make sure that a popular government emerges. Whether military or otherwise, a government that will act in the interests of the people, uh, that will use the resources that God gave them to make prosperous the people, both in the private and public sphere, and will act with wisdom vis-a-vis its neighbors, first of all in West Africa and later, I pray, uh, in the continent of Africa as a whole. Follow them, please, African Stream. I very much hope that if we can get this Moats Africa off the ground, that we will be able to do it in association with African Stream. 
As I was saying, I'll be back, God willing, on Wednesday at the later time of 9pm UK. Always check times. I never know when the clocks are changing. 9pm UK time on Wednesday. I hope to see you again there for the mother of all talk shows. Good night.